Amen, amen. Thank you, team. That's going to be an awesome day, is it not? Until then, we've got some work to do, though. If you're here this morning for uh, the first time, you're jumping into week two of a series that we're going through called The Making of a Disciple. The Making of a Disciple. And we talked about this last week, that this word disciple. We all know it if we've been in church. We've all heard it as we've grown up in church, but really, do we know what it means? Do we even know what it means to be a disciple? Do we know what it means to make disciples? What is Jesus asking us to do in his commandment to make disciples. So we talked about this uh, scripture where we call this the Great Commission. This is the place where Jesus sends his followers, his disciples, out into the earth. It's the commission we all have as followers of Jesus, even to today. So we're gonna read, I'm going to read this to us this morning as we begin. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I shared last week a quote that I had heard, that I had read, that I came across that really changed everything for me. That quote said this, if you remember, if you were here, it was that if you just make a church, you won't always get disciples. If you just focus on building a church, being a church, you won't always make disciples. But if you make disciples, you will always get the church. And the problem with that quote is that some of us really are comfortable with doing church. Some of us are really good at doing church. We don't really know what this whole thing of making disciples is, and yet that's what Jesus has called us to do. That's what he's commissioned us to do. And this call is an invitation. Jesus broke on the scene. We talked about it in Mark last week. Broke on the scene, and his invitation to be a disciple of him was simple. It was follow me. It was imitate me. It was walk with me. Adopt my head. Everything that I know, I want you to know. That's what the teaching's about. Adopt my heart. The things that break my heart, I want them to break your heart. Adopt in my life, my hands, all the things that you see me do. One point, Jesus even said, greater things than these you will do in my name as we follow him. So what's the definition of discipleship? What did we talk about last week? The definition of discipleship is simple. Discipleship is a process. It's the process of moving from unbelief to belief about what is true of God and the gospel in absolutely every area of life. It bears mentioning again, salvation, the moment where we surrender our lives to Christ, where we come to know Christ as Lord for the first time, is the kickoff of the game. It is not the end zone. I like football, so I hope, that, I hope that captures it for you all. It's the beginning of a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Yes, of course, we want to see this full of white flowers. Yes, we want to see people come to know Jesus as, this, as their Savior and Lord and have a personal relationship with him. There's nothing, there's, more, there's no joy greater than that. But it's the beginning of a process where God wants to, each and every day, 
Find places in your life that are different from where he wants you to go. Find thoughts in your life, emotions, those, all of those places where you are living out unbelief, where you are believing that your way is better than God's way. And he wants you to repent. He wants you to change your mind. He wants you to change your direction. And he wants you to begin to believe what's true of God, what's true of the gospel, what's true of who you are in Christ is a better way to be. It's a better way to live. And as you do that, as you engage this process of moving from unbelief to belief, you are going to be changed. You are going to be transformed. You are going to be renewed into the very image of the master. That's Jesus. This is the prop process of discipleship. And so how do we do this? How do we do this? You know, when I was a kid, probably the one person who was the biggest influence on my life, naturally, was my father. He was. And as most kids, uh, well, not most kids, that's not fair, but as some of us, my father was my hero. I really looked up to him. My father had this way of doing things where he would just come home, especially in the summertime, he would come home, and he would come into the room, and my brother and I were like playing Atari or maybe even Nintendo at that point, and, and he would say, um, dating myself again, anyway, um, and he would say, hey, Dan, why don't you come with me and just let's go for a ride? And when I was little, I would be like, yes, you know, let me go get, a, get away from my brother, my little brother who drove me crazy, right? And as I got older, I was like, well, what are we going to do? And he'd be like, well, just come with me. And so I get in the car with them, and we would just drive. We'd probably spend two to three hours. And you know what my dad would do? He would just take me with him doing the things he was going to do anyway. So we'd visit somebody, and I'd go in there with him. We'd go to the, mail, we'd go to the, the post office to mail something. I would go with him. We'd run this air, and we'd run that air, and we'd go with him. And, you know, all the time in the car, as I got older, I got annoyed with it. It wasn't something I wanted to do. I obviously had better things to do than hang out with my dad, right? And, and I would be, especially as I was older, I was like, Dad, you know, let's turn on the radio. Let's listen to some tunes. And my dad would say something that I still to this day can't believe. He'd say, let's just have some quiet. You know, and inside my adolescent mind, I was like, no, what is wrong with you? I don't want to sit in quiet. I want to listen to some music. And he'd be like, no, let's just listen to quiet. But here's, here's the thing. Maybe you know this already. I didn't know it at the time, but this is the thing. My dad knew that if we were in the car together for a few hours and there was no distraction, that I would talk to him. I would talk to him. And he'd be able to ask me questions. And we'd be able to have conversations. And he would speak into my life and he would hear about my life. And we would have this process during those drives where we had time together, where we grew in our relationship with one another. And I didn't even know it. Now, I'm a father myself, and I try to repeat this with my kids because that's what disciples do. They imitate their master. They imitate people that have done things with them. And so I want to imitate this as a father with my kids. And you know what? They don't like the quiet either. I mean, just this week, I was driving Lydia somewhere, and, and that's my oldest daughter, and I was driving her somewhere, and she's like, Dad, can we just listen to the radio? And I'm like, you're eight. Like, what's wrong? Uh, pray for me as she gets older. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know, because I wanted just to have a conversation with her. I longed as her father to have a conversation with her, to get to know her, to talk to her about her problems, what's going on in life. 
This is something I wanted to do with her. But she didn't want anything, <laughs> she didn't want anything to do with it. You know, but here's the thing about, here's the thing about us. Here's the thing about God. Do you know that God is given the same invitation to you each and every day? Do you know that it may not be in a car? Maybe it is in your car. But God is inviting you each and every day into a time, into a quiet time, where he wants you to talk to him. He wants you to share with him all of the things in your life. He actually longs for it. He wants to delight in it. He wants to talk to you. He wants to speak into your life and transform the way that you're thinking about things. He wants you to tell him what's going on. And he wants you to share the, all of the tr- struggles, all of the joys that you have. And yet, you know what we do sometimes? We avoid the quiet. We listen to the music. We want to be distracted. We don't want to spend time with our Father. We have a tendency also to do something else. Those of us that have a, have a quiet time, those of us that have the ability to have a quiet time, we do something like this. So we're, we'll have like, I have my quiet time, I got it set out, and so I'm going to spend time with the Lord, and then I do this. I finish, and I just put God on the shelf, and I say, okay, God, you stay there the rest of the day. I'm, a, I'm about to go do my work. I'm about to go to school. And whatever happened there doesn't have anything else to do with how I live the rest of my day. We compartmentalize God. We put him on a shelf, and we say, you stay there. Here's another thing some of us do. We, we get into our quiet time, and, and rather than actually finding out about God and sharing ourselves with God, we just want to know about him, more about him, but we actually don't want him to actually know us, and we don't really want to know him. Do you know the difference? We can, we can nef- we know an awful lot about God, but we can't maybe not even know God. Some of us seek only time with God when we want to get something, not necessarily when we want to be with him. You know how I know this as teenagers? The time where I would always seek God when I wanted to get something was that time in school where the teacher would say, okay, everybody, put all your books below your desk, get out a pencil, it's time for a pop quiz. Can I tell you, in that moment, I saw saw God right then and there. (laughs) But we do this as adults, right? We get that check, we get that, we get that, uh, or that bill, we get that electric bill, and it's bigger than usual because it was a quarter than usual winter, and we don't have enough money in our checking account, and that's the time we hit our knees. Or there's a crisis in our family, or there's a crisis with our kids, or there's a crisis at work where, you know, there's, they're handing out pink slips, and that's the point where we hit our knees. We don't hit our knees just to get, to get to know him. We hit our knees only to get something from him. And some of us also that can do quiet time really well, maybe we have a good time of quiet time, we do one other thing. Some of us practice the practices of spending time with God, but we don't actually pursue a personal relationship with him. You know how you know you're, you're just pursuing the practices rather than a personal relationship? It's when you get to the point where your quiet time, even your time in church, is just checking a box. I did it. I'm a good Christian. I got it done. But there's no personal relationship. And yet we have this Father in heaven who's inviting us each and every day to take a trip with him to go with him and get in, get in a relationship with him where we share all that we are with him, we hear from him as we spend time growing deeper with him. This is a key part of what it means to be a disciple. You know, Jesus in his life and his ministry as he walked on the earth was extremely intentional in everything he did. 
And his disciples, his followers, they watched it all. They saw how he lived his life. And he lived his life primarily pursuing three key relationships as he was a disciple, or as he was a, making disciples, and as he was living it. As disciples of him, we have to look into these three key relationships. This first relationship we're going to talk about today is his relationship with the Father. He was with the Father all the time. Everything he did in his ministry flowed from his time with the Father, this intimate, personal relationship with God. He spent every minute of every day in a life with God the Father. His life with God was key to how he lived. It was as fundamental for Jesus as breathing is for us. It was. He was in constant contact with his father. It was a personal, intimate relationship with the father. And everything that Jesus did flowed from that. Let's look at some scriptures to point this out. The earliest ones at the beginning of Jesus' relationship are Jesus' life on earth. We have in Luke 2 where Jesus gets lost His parents can't find him anywhere, right? So if you've ever had that happen to you at like a fairground or in the mall, don't feel bad, parents. You know, Mary and Joseph did that, so you're not terrible parents, you know? But when they finally found Jesus, when they finally caught up to him, he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I must have a relationship with my father. I'm seeking after my father. In all of the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in our New Testament that share the story of Jesus and how he lived, they talk about this. There's another passage in Luke specifically again. Luke says this, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus would withdraw regularly away from the crowds to spend time with God, to do life with God, to have an intimate personal relationship with God. Luke tells us that in those days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued to be in prayer to God. This passage in particular is right before he calls the apostles, his 12 disciples. This wasn't because he had a crisis. This is because he was seeking the Lord before he made an important decision. And I like this passage. I could probably, as a night owl, I could probably pray all night and continue in prayer with the Lord. Now this passage from Mark, on the other hand, not so much. This is for the really holy people in the house this morning. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Some of you can do this. Me, on the other hand, I don't, it's, it's not a spiritual practice of mine to get up while it's still dark, if I can help it. So, but this is, this is Jesus even did this. And then, you know, here's the thing, folks. It was as close to Jesus as praying, this intimate, this personal, this daily, everything flows from it, relationship with Jesus. And the way that he prayed and the way that he spoke to the Father, even for young Jewish boys who were taught to pray, even for young Jewish boys that knew who God was, it was so different. It was so remarkably different, something they had never seen. His relationship with God was so different than anything else, even though they could say prayers themselves, that one day, while Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Because the way that Jesus did it, the relationship that Jesus had with the Father was something that they saw that they needed and they needed to know how to do it. It was an intimate, consistent contact, personal relationship with, with his Father. Everything flowed from it. Jesus lived life with God. 
and so must we. So one story where Jesus teaches us the importance of this upward relationship with our Father, what we're going to look at the rest of our time this morning, is found also in Luke. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. I invite you to turn there with me this morning, if you have scripture with you. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. This is a story where Jesus is, is teaching us this, this, this importance of this relationship with our Father, to live life with God. I'll have the verses up here if you don't have it with you. Luke tells us this. Is, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, the way that Martha is mentioned here, it's important to realize that Martha welcomed him into her house, and so Luke's telling us that Martha's acting like a hostess. She's probably getting things together. She welcomed him in, and hospitality in a, in a Near Eastern culture is, is really important in the Middle East. It's a, it's a high value, much more high, higher of a value than we hold sometimes here in the Western world, and so she would have been getting, you know, something to drink ready, something to eat ready. They welcomed him in, and as she's doing that, Jesus sits down, and Mary sits at his feet and listens to his teaching. It's also interesting, we just kind of glaze over this, but a first century reader of what Luke's giving as an account of Jesus' life and ministry would have been shocked by this, you see? Because sitting at the feet of a rabbi, of a teacher, was no place for a woman. But it's important to know, the master we serve, he even calls women to be his disciples. His teaching is for them and for their heart, and she's sitting at his feet, the place. It was very unusual, but the story goes on. But Martha, Martha was distracted with much serving. You see, Mary's sitting at his feet. She's spending time with God. She is learning from Jesus, and Martha, who's the hostess, is too busy serving. She's distracted with many things. Now, maybe we're not in this situation. Maybe Jesus isn't in our house, but Jesus invites us. I already said the Father invites us every day to spend time with him. So my question to you is, what distracts you? What's the too much that's distracting you from having a life with God? What gets pushed out of the way every time we're too busy? It's usually our life with God. She was distracted with, this is important, much serving. So we could even say, well, listen, I'm doing stuff for God. I don't need to spend time with God. And can I tell you how hard that is for, for this guy? You know how hard it is? This is a personal thing. You, you probably don't have a problem with this, but you know, you know how, not hard, how easy it is to convince myself that my time preparing messages is my time with God? Yeah, it's not. She was distracted with too much serving. Folks, as Christians, we can get to the place where the work that we do for Christ can kill his work in us if we are not spending time with him. And I'll tell you what, if you're serving the Lord, you need to spend even more time with him. Distracted with too much serving. And so Martha went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to come help me. Yeah, 
Martha's not concerned that she's missing out on time with God. She's not concerned that she's not actually being able to listen to his teaching, being able to listen to what he has to say. No, Martha's concern is that she's having to do all the work, and Mary's just sitting around listening to Jesus. And I love Jesus' reply. If you know the story, you already know it, but I just love Jesus' reply. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now, the first thing this reminds me of is the Brady Bunch. (laughs) But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this. The other thing this reminds me of is, you know, Martha, Martha. This is is probably very similar to when my mother or my wife uses my first abittal name. You know what I mean? There's something wrong. I'm about to hear something else in this, in this, that's coming after this, right? You know, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's accepting the invitation to do life with him. And Martha comes in and says, you need to tell her to leave and go someplace else. And Jesus is just like, Martha, Martha, don't you understand? You're envious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Did you catch that? Even if you're familiar with this story, did you catch that? What did Jesus say is necessary? One thing. A good portion. What is that one thing? It's sitting at Jesus' feet. Folks, do we not realize as his disciples that the God who created everything, the Lord who died for us, is inviting us daily to sit at his feet? He says it's the one thing that's necessary, that everything flows from that, but we're distracted with too much other things. We are. The good portion. I think Jesus is kind of playing on words here. You know, there's, because Mary's, Our Martha's making portions. She's probably preparing a meal. And and Jesus is saying that one thing is necessary. And Mary's chosen this good portion, this this thing where you listen to the teaching from from Jesus. You spend time with him. You you cultivate an intimate, personal relationship with him. And then you respond when you get up by obeying what he says. Because the life of a disciple is constantly hearing from the master and then obeying it and walking it out. Hearing those places where he wants you to change, where he wants you to change your heart, change your mind, change your direction, and move from a place of unbelief to belief. And that's the one thing, that's the good portion. It must come first before everything else. Jesus is saying, this is the primary thing in your life, is to spend time with me. It's the one thing that's necessary. The Old Testament, many times, having a personal relationship with God, yes, it's even in the Old Testament, having close fellowship with God is referred as a portion. In the Psalms, in the Psalms, um, this is even said in Psalm 73, 26, the psalmist writes, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is all that I need, and he is with us, and he wants more of us. Folks, if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to be disciples who make disciples, we have to pursue this life with God. It has to be the one thing that's necessary in our hearts and lives. It needs to be the thing that we pursue first every day. It has to be our strength and our portion forever. Look what Paul writes about this in Colossians 2. In Colossians 2, Paul says this, Therefore, 
And I've shared this before, but if there's a therefore, my dad used to always say, you have to look and make sure you know what it's there for. Yeah, I love that one. I'm going to use it again so you better laugh louder next time. Um, (laughs) Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, as you've received it, as you become part of the family, as you follow him as as your master, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says, as you receive Christ as Lord, as he's become your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to walk in him. Walk in him. See, all right? having a seizure. Let's tell you what, let's just press pause and can, you, can we say a prayer together? Father, you are the creator, you're the maker of all things and Lord, I just ask by the power of your spirit that you work now. You are healer, you are Lord. You're in control, Lord. So bring healing over this seizure. You, can, you control the brain. Lord, I just ask that you would move now. That your healing hand would come into this place. Father, we ask this by faith, knowing that you're in control. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us guidance. Be with the family, even now, as they go. Be with those who are attending to the situation. Give them wisdom. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I know he's been dealing with these things. This isn't the first time. We're going to lift them up. But listen, let's not, let's not lose focus on what God wants to say this morning. Okay? Paul says to people who are following Jesus, who are walking with Jesus, a letter to a church of people that are trying to do this thing. That as you receive Christ, now you have to walk in him. This Greek word, The Greek word that it ends up being the three words, walk in him, is the word peripateo, peripateo. It's it's the root of that word is where we get perpetual, okay? Peripateo, so walk in him. What Paul is trying to say is, as you receive Christ as Lord, that all day and every day, you need to walk in him. That it's a daily, all-day thing. That every minute of every day, as you receive Christ as Lord, you have to walk with him. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants you to be in an intimate place with him. He wants you to go to the deserted places and spend time with him. And he wants that to be the first thing. He wants that to be the primary thing. He wants that to be your good, per- your good portion. That's the one thing that's necessary that Jesus said. is just as you receive him as Lord, you need to walk with him every single day. Folks, if if I can't get it through your, through your hearts this morning, I just want you to hear this, that God wants to spend time with you. He's just like my dad. He's inviting you to be with him. And here's the thing. I don't know about you, but here's the thing about Dan. If I don't do this, if I don't realize that this is more important than breathing, or just as important as breathing, something happens to me. I'm just going to be honest. Maybe these won't want to be what happens to you, but something happens to me when I miss my life with God, when I don't spend life with God. The less I pursue life with God, one of these three things happens. The first is this. I seek other things to find fulfillment. 
I do. I'll admit it to you. Who needs to confess when I preach every week, right? I do. And you know how I do that? By things that don't bring health and life to me. I choose to escape from the real world. Sometimes I seek entertainment. Man, I could binge Netflix and feel like that's just going to solve the problems of my heart as I do that. Sometimes I I seek to self-medicate with food. You know, gosh, I could, you know, we joke sometimes when you have a bad day, you go home and eat a pint of ice cream, but you know, that's probably not as good as hitting your knees in front of the Lord. Some of us seek other things, alcohol, drugs. We seek things to soothe us because we're not, seek, we're not seeking him. We procrastinate and avoid. Yeah, if I don't spend time with God, you know what sometimes I do? I don't do anything. I get stalled because I'm overwhelmed with all of the things in this world. So you know how I seek fulfillment? I avoid having to do all the things that are hard. And another thing that happens to me when I don't spend time with God, the fruit of my life, the fruit of my ministry, the fruit of my work, the fruit of my relationships, the fruit of my parenting, that changes too. Not only do I seek to fulfill myself in other ways, but rather than actually thrive in what God's called me to do, I'm driven by performance. I make it about me. I want to perform better and better. I seek to please people. I become a people pleaser because I'm not fulfilled by my relationship with God, so I seek fulfillment from other people. I do it. And my relationships suffer because of it. I don't spend time with God, and rather than thriving in my work, I strive. Everything's effort. Everything's work because I'm trying to do things on my own. And things that usually I can fluff off, they consume me with anxiety, with stress, with worry. Why? Because I don't have fulfillment with my life with God. And so anytime I fall into any of those categories, I say, Dan, where's your life with God right now? Are you pursuing him first and foremost in everything? Another thing that happens to me, if that's not bad enough, you're like, man, I'm not even going to have this guy as my pastor after he's done here. But listen, this is true. Maybe these aren't your three, but these are my three. If I don't spend my time with God, if I do not have a life with God, I have a tendency to overlook my own faults while magnifying the faults of others. I become a hypocrite. If you're in this house this morning and you have a problem with Christians because they're hypocrites, guess what? The guy up here is sometimes too. Because I don't spend time with the Lord, I don't make him priority in my life, and I begin to think because he is not speaking in those moments, in those quiet places, about all the places I am unbelieving where he wants to change me to a place of belief. So I start to look at other people that are definitely walking out, of unbe- walking out unbelief, other people that are not as holy as me, and I begin to look down on them regard- right, instead of looking at my own heart and seeking after what the Lord wants to do in me. All because I'm not pursuing a life with God. The final thing I do is, is this. I'm, I'm prone to anger and frustration. If things that usually don't bother me begin to bother me, if I start to get short with my kids or my spouse, or if I'm, if I'm, if I'm upset, if I have a conversation with somebody, not here because the church is always easy, everybody's always loving and wonderful, but other places in my life, if I have a conversation with somebody where usually I can speak into the situation or I can see the situation through the eyes of Jesus and respond to it, if instead I'm prone to being annoyed, I'm prone to snipping back, if I'm, if I'm not operating out of grace but actually a little bit too much truth sometimes, then I know, you know what, Dan, you're not having enough time with God because life with God is where everything flows from 
And if I'm not doing it, I know one of these things is going to creep up. And when I start seeing him in my own life, I know that I need to spend more time with him. I need to get away with him. I need to take a car ride with him. What's yours? What's yours? If you find any of these three things in your own life, maybe you have something else that I don't have. What's yours? It's good to know it because God is calling you to do a life with him. So I have a couple challenges for you this morning. The first thing is this. I invite you, I challenge you to invite him into your everyday. Into your everyday. To walk with him, peripateo, that daily, all day invitation with God. And so if that's something you'd like to do this morning, I have a challenge for you. Get on your phones. Get them out. You're allowed to. Get them out. Go to your app store. It's in both of them. And look for Soul Revolution. Soul Revolution. And this is an app you can download on your phone. And what this is, is this is a 60 by 60 challenge. For the next 60 days, once an hour, for 12 hours a day, you can set that 12 hours. Your phone will send you a notification, and it'll be a scripture And then it'll tell you how to apply that to your life and invite God into your life for the next hour. 12 hours a day, seven days a week for 60 days. The soul revolution. Just give you the opportunity for 12 hours a day to end that. And the challenge is going to be after the first three days, because I just did this last week, not to just swipe the notification goodbye. And you're going to see how you're distracted with too much. How it's not the one thing that you see is necessary. Because it's a notification, it's so easy just to do this, right? But this is an opportunity for you to engage it. If you struggle with this, you want to grow in this for 60 days, just download the Soul Revolution. It's going to look like a 60-60. I think in the iPhone, it's spelled out 60-60. In the uh, Android store, it's going to be the number 60-60. Soul Revolution. Just challenge you to do that and spend time with the Lord each and every day. Another thing, if you have your phone out, if you're not into the word on a regular basis, I challenge you to spend 15 minutes a day with the Lord. Make it a priority. Make it the first thing you do. This app on your phone has everything that you need. It has more plans than you could possibly do. And it'll send you a notification you could do it. You can even invite other people from your small group. You can invite other people from your life to do it with you, to do the, do the reading with you. But spend 15 minutes a day with the Lord. I believe it'll change your life. Get a plan and do it. Yes, we want to be all day, every day. But sometimes if you're not into the word, I've said it, this is one of the things that I love to say because it's true. When you get into the word, the word gets into you. And it shapes every part of your day. God wants to have this personal, intimate relationship with you. And as you get into the word, as you get into devotional life, as you spend time with him, do it not to know more of him. It's very important to know more about God. That is very important. I have two master's degrees in religion, so I can't stand up here and say it's not important to know more about God, okay? But what Jesus wants you as as his follower to do is to know more of him. And he wants to know more of you, a personal, intimate connection with him. Spend time with him as you would if, you were, if he was your father, that you were riding next to him in a car. And if you don't have a smartphone, I didn't leave you all out. CE National makes these incredible on-track devotions. They're right out this door, hanging on the wall. And if we need more of them, we'll print them out. Lauren will do it. And these are amazing devotions. And why they're amazing devotions is it teaches you how to apply the world to your life. 
Each and every day you're asked after you read the portion of scripture, it asks you, how does this apply to me? In other words, Lord, where is the unbelief in my heart that you're challenging me to believe in the gospel and the good news? Where is it? Where are you asking me to change my heart and mind and actually start to apply these things? That's what he's gonna, it's gonna ask you to do. And then it says, then what? Now, what do I do? Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do with this? And if I'm you, this is how I read my scriptures and I journal, I have a journal, I do it every day. This, then what? What is God asking me to do? What am I gonna do about it? Is where I pray, I pray into that. And as I, as I put the scriptures away and my journal away and I go into my day, I don't put God on a shelf. That phrase, that thought, that place where God is trying to change me is where I'm trying to invite him into every single part of my day. Because that's where God's challenged me in his word today. And so I want his Holy Spirit to continue to work on that as I go through the day. Because I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And the discipleship is a process where God moves us from unbelief to belief in absolutely every area of our life. Disciples pursue life with God. This is the first place, this is the first relationship that we need to focus on as we become disciples. So what would it look like for you this week? What would it look like for you this week to just take one of these challenges? What would it look like this week for you to pursue a life with God, a perpetual, perpetual life, all day, every day, and inviting him into your day, into your time with him, a personal, intimate relationship? How would you change? How would we change as a church if we were filled with people that did this? That the hour on Sunday wasn't the only time that we did it, but it became as important to us as breathing itself. Martha, Martha, you're distracted with too much. One thing is necessary. Mary chose the good portion. Folks, Jesus is inviting you to sit at his feet this week. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your life. And as you believe what's true of God and what's true of the gospel in absolutely every area of your life and you become more like him, you will have a life, as Paul said in Colossians 2, abounding in thanksgiving. Do you believe it? Are you ready to live it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the people here this morning. Father, we just lift up again as we, as we close this morning, the Keller family. Lord, continue to move in that situation. Lord, for those of us here, those of us that heard your word this morning, allow the distraction of the day not let us lose what this key relationship you're calling us into. As we become your disciples, as we become disciples who make disciples, Lord, let us be a place where every believer in you pursues a life with God daily, inviting him into all day, every day, so that we can be changed, that we can be transformed by you. Lord, thank you for Phil and Olivia. Thank you for their ministry. Thank you for the, the blessing that they are sharing with us this morning. Lord, I, I pray not for, for 20 leaders, but for 25. 
that you'd blow us away with your goodness, that the Spirit of God would move on college campuses in this country, and that a spirit of, of confusion, the spirit of, the spirit of, uh, of lies of the devil that, that, that trick our students to start to believe something other than the truth of God would, would be invaded by the Holy Spirit, the way, the truth, and the life and the young students in the most impressionable, impressionable time of their life would come to know you as Lord. And they would leave as leaders in their communities, leaders in their schools, leaders in the places where you take them so that they can change this world with the good news of Jesus. Lord, help each and every person this week as they take a challenge to get into the word 15 minutes a day, as they take a challenge to spend each minute or each hour with you through maybe the Soul Revolution app, or as they, as they take a challenge to get devotions and, and actually start to apply them, apply this process of, of, Lord, where are you telling me I need to change? Where are you trying to change me, Lord? How do I do that? How does your Holy Spirit move me forward? As I pursue discipleship with you, as people in this church grab a hold of these challenges, Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give them the courage, that you would give them the time, that you would put away the distractions, that you'd have them carve out the time in their day, Lord, that you would fill their hearts, their lives with fruit, Lord, that they would be able to walk out the faith that you've given them, and that they would have a rich time where they met you, Father, and they would come to know you better during this time. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're a guest this morning, if this is your first time here, um, uh, Cliff and Carol are here. Wave, wave your hand, Cliff, so they can see you. They're gonna be out at the, the desk out right outside that door, and they wanna meet you. If you haven't had a free gift from the church, we got a free gift for you today if you're a guest here for the first time. They'd love to give you that gift, and only that, but I'd like to come meet you as soon as I get an opportunity to get off, get off the stage. I wanna come out and meet you this morning if you're a first-time guest right outside the desk, and uh, we'll meet you out there. We're glad you were here this morning. For the rest of you, bring somebody next week. This is important stuff. The making of a disciple. We're going to continue in this series. God's going to teach us about another relationship Jesus pursued each.